host of the That's Ball Folks podcast. I am your host, Josh Reynolds. This is episode 18. I am joined by special guest Swipe Cam. That's what you may know him as on Twitter. Huge Nuggets fan, huge Nuggets reporter, has covered the Nuggets for a long time. I wanted to have him on and release this podcast before we typically uh, do it, which is on a Monday. But with the Sixers-Nuggets matchup coming up on Saturday, I wanted this to be out in the world <laughs> and for people to listen to before the game. So I'm not even going to talk too much. Special episode. Just want you guys to hear my conversation with Cam. Again, hope you're all having a great week. But without any further ado, let's get right to it. Uh, my conversation with Cam. Let's go. Today, I am lucky enough to be joined by my guy, Swipa. You might be familiar with him on Twitter. Goes by Swipa Cam. Also on YouTube, got his podcast, Swiping with Swipa. He is the biggest Nuggets fan I know, not even close. And I think the world needs to hear this. So before we dive into things, uh, Cam, man, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I genuinely appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited, bro. It was great, man. You got a great platform yourself. Uh, I love reading your stuff, Josh. I think you got a bright future ahead of you bro so i'm really excited man i'm glad to be here brother thank you brother i appreciate that so before we dive into obviously talking about the the matchup on saturday with Jokic and b nuggets sixers wanted to uh give you the chance to kind of tell my listeners a little bit about you um where you're from i'm assuming obviously we chatted before but kind of growing up in colorado where you're at now mm-hmm. uh just wanted to turn it over to you yeah, yeah, yeah. Originally from Denver, Colorado. I grew up in Park Hill. If you're familiar with Chauncey Billups, he's from Park Hill, has the tattoo, King of Park Hill. On yeah, his arm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I grew up right in the city. Um, you know, I spent time at Hiawatha Davis, my whole upbringing, the MLK rec center where I played basketball, you know, played football, all that stuff. So I'm born and raised in the streets of Colorado, 303-720. You know, I've, I've always been a avid fan of sports and especially obviously the Nuggets and the Broncos and the Avalanche and even the Rockies and all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, came up in it. And then eventually I went to go play college football, got done with that, went to grad school. And then I've been living out in, a, in Atlanta now working full time uh, for the last six and a half years. But as obviously everybody knows me, I, I do a lot in covering Colorado sports as a whole and particularly with the Nuggets and then with the Broncos as well. So, yeah, man, it's been uh, it's been quite the journey, bro. But I'm I'm Denver through and through. I love it. Yes, you are. How? Uh, when did you? Obviously, you said you grew up being a fan. You're from Colorado. You love sports, so naturally, you're going to be a fan of the teams around you. When did you start covering them? Like, when did you know? Okay, I actually mm-hmm. want to try to turn this into something with your podcast, with your video content. When did you decide to do that? Yeah, you know, I've been I do a lot of public speaking. Uh, my professional life has been public speaking now for over ten years. So. I think I had been in a little bit of a mental transition in 2020, especially with the work that I do. And I wanted to have another outlet, but also too, you know, I've, I've asked myself why wasn't I talking about sports, especially somebody with my background and how much sports has meant to me. And then literally uh, December 23rd of 2020, the Nuggets had just got done uh, playing a game. And I just made the decision to just go ahead and start talking on YouTube and, you know, it kind of started from out of nowhere. I remember the first video I did had like 256 views, I, I imagine. And I was like, man, like crazy that there are that many people that want to listen to what I got to say. And then I kept doing it. I didn't have like a name per se I was going by. Um, my name is Cam. So I'm just kind of going by Cam. And then eventually I had a nickname that 
I had kind of, you know, been used about me before. So I put the swiping name on there. Videos went from 250 to 500, 750, 1,000, 2,003, 10, and then all the way up even to, you know, 40,000 or whatever. And it was all kind of a matter over a few months, man. And so um, I just was dedicated to it. You know, I grew up in the Robert Pack, Nick Van Exo, Antonio McDice days where the Nuggets were super lean. I watched them win 17 games in 2002 before they got Carmelo. So, you know, I just knew the story, man. There. When I was a kid, bro, Dare used to come by our school with the police and they would give off Nuggets tickets for cheap, for nothing, because mm-hmm. nobody would go to the game, bro. So it was like, you know, it's been a, it's been a long time for me. And all the, like I said, it's kind of something I was holding off on. Then eventually I started the channel and just haven't looked back since. I love it. Also, amazing Dare shout out. I haven't heard Dare in so long. <laughs> <laughs> is that still a thing? Is Dare, is Dare uh, it, it, it might be. I know the police are always trying to make relationships with the communities and stuff. So I remember they were coming to our school and, and you know, talk about like the most powerful thing they have on them is their pen because they can write people up with all that stuff. And when I was a kid, <laughs> I thought they was capping. And then at the end of the thing, they would give us these little nuggets tickets and you sit at the very, very, very top. Uh, but the last bowl in the stadium and all that stuff. So, bro, man, it was those were those were the days back in back in the G, man. Oh, I love it. And as a kid, I mean, you don't care where you sit. You're in the building. Right. You're just pumped out of your mind. Yeah, right. Guys. Yeah. Win, win or lose. Yeah. I was just happy to be there eating popcorn with my folks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, uh, again, people who aren't familiar, I guarantee all my listeners have seen your name on Twitter. This hilarious little, I don't even want to call it a rivalry because the Nuggets and Sixers play each other, what, twice a year? I don't even know if you can call it that, but just mm-hmm. the hilarious banter back and forth between Nuggets and Jokic fans and Sixers and Embiid fans. I think it all kind of started with the MVP stuff, which we'll get into in a bit. But yeah, but before we do that, well, honestly, bro, it started yeah, even yeah. years ago, bro. It started like, I remember 2017, you know, Embiid at the time was still considered a top 10 player. And uh, I think most Nuggets fans, too, they, I think Kajokic hadn't yet ascended, uh, except for the last stretch of that 2017 season when they were trying to get into the playoff. Embiid had always been the narrative. Uh, he was better than Jokic at that point in time. And I think that was legitimate. I mean, Embiid came in rookie year averaging 23 and 11. And, you know, I remember I remember his first game when he took off those two and a half years. And then he played, you know, he went off for like over 20 points. And it's kind of like, bro, this dude is like legit. You know, he was. Had the little Hakeem fadeaways yeah. and his middies and stuff. And I'm like, I remember at the time, I was like, I was super happy for him because I know, like, he came out of Kansas and Cameroon, and I was just, like, really happy that he was able to get his body right. And then it literally, as soon as he touched the court, you know, he was a 25 points per game score, you know, out of nowhere. So it was, like, around that era when I think Nuggets fans first got introduced. And I think in large part, a lot of people were happy to see somebody come back from injury to being able yeah. to become the, the player that they were. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome to hear because I obviously being a Sixers fan myself, like that was the exact feel with him having those back to back years of injuries coming out of the draft. It was like, okay, we think we know what we have in the talent here, but like, do we really know? And so to be able to hear from you, a Nuggets fan and just a fan of hoop in general, that you were excited to see a guy kind of bounce back like that. That's that's always cool to hear that. uh, I'll never forget that opening game. You nailed it with the. The old dream shake and kind of hitting mm-hmm. that pity <laughs> at the free throw line. That was, yeah, yep. that was fantastic. So we got to look at the matchup. Obviously, it I think it's been circled on a lot of people's calendars all season long. Uh, the matchup coming up on Saturday. You guys out West holding down the best record in the league, uh, which is unbelievable. 34 and 14. I, I'm not just saying this. Like, I don't know. And you'll have to tell me your thoughts. But 
did you expect you guys kind of coming into the season to have the first overall record, not just in the West, but in the league, almost to all-star break? Yeah, I think, you know, before the year, I would do my predictions. I had the top three seeds in both conferences. I had the Warriors, the Nuggets, and the Clippers. And then I had mm-hmm. the Celtics, the Sixers, and the Bucks were my top three seeds in both of the conferences. So I knew that because Jamal, MPJ, Bruce, and KTP were basically all brand-new players being added to the system because they, none of them were there last year outside of nine games from Porter. Yeah. I knew that they were going to be very good. And so I predicted that they were going to be contenders. I thought the Warriors – might be able to start off healthy and they might have the best overall record, but I expected them to compete for it. But obviously, you know, the first 25 games, maybe 25, uh, 20, man, almost like 28, honestly, the Nuggets had a really bad uh, defense. Their offense was very good, but they just couldn't stop anybody. So I think a lot of people were kind of down a little bit because, you know, Michael Malone came into the year saying he wants them to be a top five defense because he knows you got to be to be an elite contender especially with the Nuggets offense. And so I think I had high expectations for them coming in. They just came out really flat defensively. I think a lot of that subsided. But honestly, bro, you know, I heard George Carl, you know, I have, who I have a show with uh, Truth and Basketball, his wife and Coach George Carl. I remember I asked him, you know, how do you kind of know when a team is a contender? And what he said is that if you can be over 20 games, like in terms of your win-loss profile by game 60, meaning you're at like 40 and 20, then you know you're like an elite-level team. So for the yeah. Nuggets to be 33 and 13 – you know, and be 20 games over 500 with, again, only 13 losses. I think that was the staggering thing. It's like this team is very, very good, and now they're sitting at 34 and 14 with a game coming up against the Bucks. So, yeah, man, I mean, it's been really good to see. Honestly, bro, they've been injured for two years, man. So I think everybody yeah. has just been waiting for this moment to happen again. Yep. I Again, an outsider perspective, it, I looked at your guys' roster with the exact same thought where – you just, it was almost like kind of looking at Embiid his rookie year to compare, right? It was like, okay, we know what you guys can be. We've seen what you, you have been when you've been healthy, but who knows? Like there's certain, certain players can't really come back from it. Like they, they were before you just didn't know. And so to see where you're at, obviously it's a testament to the whole team, but especially a testament to Jokic, like what he has been able to do is simply phenomenal, but what he's been able to do with, I mean, you look at Murray, and he has little glimpses here and there where it's like, okay, yeah, he's in there. But I would I would say he's not nearly f- what he can be potential-wise. So to see that you guys have the best record in the league with Murray still having room to ramp up, I mean, that's that's unbelievable. And looking at Jokic's stat line every single night is like, holy moly, he did it again. <laughs> if, if, he's mm-hmm. not drop- if he's not dropping 40, he's got 15, 15, and 10. It's, I mean, it's without fail every single night, you know, that Jokic is going to bring it and there's literally no off nights, which is the most impressive part. Like it's consistent every single night, night in, night out. But the fact that he's got you guys sitting at the top of the West, almost to all-star break. Yes. You guys do have a brutal stretch coming up. Um, you tweeted it earlier and I, I couldn't agree. I mean, you're kind of thrown right in the gauntlet, right? With, uh, you've got a matchup with Giannis and the Bucks, then obviously Saturday and Embiid and then you got a Curry and the Warriors coming. So it's it's rough going into All-Star, but I think if you didn't have a good feeling about this squad going into All-Star break, I think you're most certainly going to have one uh, after these next four games. Yeah, I'm look, I'm excited. I, I love when, you know, my, my dream is that everybody in the NBA is healthy. So that's Embiid past the first and second round, and he doesn't get hit in the face, you know, on a random play, you know, pass guy <laughs> yeah. accidentally hits him or has a, a knee injury, you know, or even, you know, when he had, when he averaged 30, 
I think 30, 12 and three in the second round versus the Atlanta Hawks. You know, I want to see a, a Kawhi Leonard, Paul Jordan. I want to see LeBron and Anthony Davis. I want to see Steph Curry and the Warriors. I want to see Devin Booker and the Suns. I want to see Giannis with Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday next to him. And, and obviously for KD and Kyrie and the rest of that roster, you know, I really was hoping this year was going to be the year because of the last two seasons that we would have everybody healthy come playoff time. Now we still may get there. I do think that by the playoff, yeah. there's a very good chance that we could get there, but um, I'm, I'm hoping that will happen, but I, I really, I want to see everybody at their best, man. Like I, I picked the Sixers to potentially come out of the East, you know, with a fully healthy Giannis and a fully healthy, uh, you know, Celtics team. But I thought that the fact that you've got DeAnthony Melton, you got PJ Tucker, Montrez Harrell coming off the bench, you know, and then having an opportunity to fortify a bead with a solid offensive team to anchor, you know, he can anchor a top five defense anywhere, anytime he's on the court. I really thought that that'd be an optimum opportunity for for them to be able to compete and come out the East. Now, it started off slow. I think Embiid has missed a dozen games uh, about so yeah. far, but yep. when he's been on the court, they have just been incredible. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I thought we had a fantastic offseason, and it was. I think all of Philly feels the same way about this team, where it's like, okay, if you go out and sign an older P.J. Tucker to a three-year deal, like your window is now. This isn't, you have to win now. And I think that upper management, Daryl Morey, the roster he's constructed, he knows that. He is trying to maximize this little window here uh, in the next year or two. And it's, I, I'm with you, slow start. I think everybody, uh, luckily for Philly, the Phillies uh, went to the World Series. So it kind of took away some of the attention mm-hmm. with the slow start. Um, I mean, you know this, not everybody has the luxury of having all professional sports teams in a city like Denver and Philly does. But there's certain certain seasons that kind of overshadow certain other other sports. And luckily, that's exactly what happened. But I feel like the Sixers kind of got their stride. And I mean, we, we got an old roster, man. You look at Maxi and uh, obviously some of the younger guys. That's great. But this team is built around Harden and Embiid. And if you can't win or at heaven forbid, get to the conference finals this year, then I don't even know what to do. So I think all of Philly feels good. But I think we're all kind of holding our breath a little bit, too. Yeah, I remember I asked, um, uh, you know, shout out to DJ Eastwood, uh, running back Philly. You know, he's a great content yes. creator um, mm-hmm. for Philly. And, you know, one of my friends, uh, really, he, he really helped me along in a YouTube game. But I remember I asked him, you know, because I, I think it was on your your post, actually, kind of why is Philly a little, they have a little bit of like a, a, a not, apath- not apathy, but it's like a wait and see mentality with, with Philly. Because I think y'all were 17 and three in your last 20. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, you've, you've been beating everybody. You know, Embiid is averaging 33-9-4 and on like 64% true shooting or whatever else it is. I think he's having his best year, arguably. Now, defensively, he was slow because of the plantar fasciitis, but, you know, yeah. he was still balling. And I, I've said this, you know, and I got some pushback about this. I mean, I had this conversation with Richard Jefferson on Twitter, some other people. I think Embiid, you could make an argument that he has been the best or second-best player in the East. And I don't mean Giannis. I think, you know, Tatum and Embiid have Agreed. been the best two players in the East. Agreed. So, you know, I just think that, like, with how well he's playing, with Harden averaging basically a, a 20, 22 and 10 right now. You know, he looks like he's been pr- playing fairly well. Tyrese Maxey, before he went down, having a career season. One of the best transition guards in the NBA. I know P.J. Tucker not had any offensive bag whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. But I would, feel, I would feel relatively good. I think the only year I would feel better about basketball if I was a Philly fan would be the Jimmy Butler era when you had yep. that 2019 run, but that's just yep. because the team was so stacked defensively and Jimmy Butler obviously wasn't who he is now for the Miami Heat, but he was still very good. Yeah. Um, this is probably be my second favorite year, if not my favorite 
for everything that Philly has going for. And literally it all comes down to him being healthy, but I think this is his best shot um, with all the other years put together. I couldn't agree with you more. I feel the exact same way. And to just to touch on PJ Tucker real fast, it's so funny because obviously you don't sign PJ Tucker to have him come in and average 15 points a game. Like that's not who he is at this point in his career. So yes, it's extremely disheartening to continuously every single game look and see bro didn't even score tonight. He shot one time and then the next game, oh, he hit a corner three. That's great. But uh, the, the lack of offense has been a little bit alarming, but at the same time, like I keep telling myself, you go out and sign a PJ Tucker because he's a dog and we have never had a dog on this roster, at least not for a long time. And come playoff time, he's the exact type of dude that you need, whether he's scoring or not. So I, I think Philly is kind of quick to react a little bit. But I mean, again, like you just said, you got to look at the roster. We're on an unbelievable stretch our last 20, 21 games. Whether PJ's scoring or not, we're winning games. And yes, it all comes down to Embiid and his health and the way that he plays with Harden and the chemistry that they continue to grow on. But I just think the whole PJ Tucker deal is kind of blown up because they look at the stat sheet and be like, oh, he didn't score again. Well, when in reality, bro, this, it's like he does everything that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. Right. You know, this might be a little bit of a throwback for Philly fans, but when I think about this roster, it's much better. But I think of P.J. Tucker's role similar to what Tyrone Hill was well, when y'all had him yeah, back love in the 2001 season. Um, you know, uh-huh. Tyrone was not a great offensive player at all. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And he wasn't a, a mobile big either, but Tyrone added so much value next to, like, the, the, the way that y'all played. And I yeah. think with what he did, next to AI and then even next to McKee and all that kind of stuff who, you know, this also shows you how, how old you were. Like when I was a kid, AI was my favorite player, but I mean, I think Aaron McKee legit me like been in my second or third favorite player in the East. And I, I just liked him. Like, you know, he I was number him. eight, you know, he mm-hmm. wore the same number as Kobe Bryant, you know, he hit some big shots here and there. So I was really a big fan of him. So I think that the Kimbe team having Tyrone Hill, I think similarly, like, you know, you don't want Tyrone Hill to be scoring a lot and he's not going to score a lot. He's going to be a negative at times offensively, but just him, PJ Tucker next to Embiid and then next to Tobias Harris gives you an extremely long front court. And it gives you a lot of mobility in terms of being able to attack a lot of larger wings. And so being able to put them together with Embiid, I think hopefully it's going to pay off in playoff time. And that's like I said, that's why I gave him a really good chance to beat the Bucks and beat the Celtics in the playoffs. I love it. That, that Ty Hill poll, that is a fantastic comp. And I agree with you. It's I, I think everybody just needs to pump the brakes a little bit. And I think everybody will be singing a little bit different tune uh, come playoff time. That's a fantastic comp. Hello, friends. I want to give another shout out to Griffles Plasma, the runaway favorite in the arena of plasma donation centers. As I've said before, and I'll say again, plasma makes medicines. This is a huge, huge deal, and a lot of people depend on these medicines for treatment. And each time you donate, that donation can be used to make up to five different plasma medicines. Think about that for a second. One donation up to five. Honestly, makes me think of the Michigan Fab Five. Shout out Jalen Rose and Chris Weber. Anyone could need plasma at any time. So if you want to help others, if you want to show your good side, take some of your time to donate some of your plasma. Your plasma replaces itself. You help other people, and you're compensated for every donation. This is a great roster to get on. Learn more about Plasma and find a center near you at grifflesplasma.com. Tell them Josh sent you. This advertisement is a paid promotion. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's genuinely few things I love more than a quality shirt that represents my squads that I can wear any day of the week. My guys over at Die Hard Addicts have some of the best Philly sports shirts you could ever dream of. Whether it's the Sixers, the Phillies, the Birds, they've got you covered with all things Philly sports. We're not talking those like cheap, thin quality shirts either. They've got heavy duty, good quality graphic tees that are money. I just scored the Princess Diana shirt of her wearing that Birds jacket. Couldn't possibly love it more. Hit them up on Instagram at DieHardAddicts or visit them at their website at www.DieHardAddicts.com. When you find something you like, use code JOSH24 for 10% off your order. DieHardAddicts, providing DieHard's custom gear to support their addiction. Are you sick of spending time caring for your lawn? Have you spent too much time mowing it or even just keeping it alive? Are you tired of wasting resources and money watering it? If you are like me, the answer is yes to all of those you should consider artificial grass. Beehive Turf out of northern Utah will transform your yard into looking beautiful all year round. Check out Beehive Turf on Instagram. Give them a call today for a free quote. Beehive Turf, take the sting out of caring for your lawn. Uh, Let's talk about your guy's squad real fast because you you made some moves this offseason. Looking at, I'll, I'll be honest, Bruce Brown, I did not think was going to be as solid of a pickup as he was. Yes, he's got little things every game here or there. There's a little thing he does. I'm like, eh. But overall, what an unbelievable signing for you guys. KCP right. as well. Like, I, I think that you guys have pieced together a roster. Even Christian Braun, man. I, I didn't even, I I'd never in a million years would have expected him to kind of step into this role and actually have an impact on it. I don't know. Your guys' roster, similarly to what you were saying about Philly, I personally, looking at the Nuggets roster, this is, and the way that things are meshing and gelling, still, as we mentioned, with room for Murray, I think, to even take his game to another level, like, you can only feel amazing about this. How do how did you feel before the season started with the offseason moves, and how do you feel about it now? Yeah, you know, before the season, I was... You know, so we went into the offseason, you know, let me explain this so people can understand the PTSD that a lot of Nuggets fans feel or Serbians that are Jokic fans. Mm-hmm. They played a playoff series, my brother, with Austin Rivers, Facundo Campazzo, Monte Morris, and Bryn Forbes as their rotational guards versus yeah. the Warriors just last year. They just, they didn't have it. And Will Barton was in there as well. They just simply didn't have their guys. So yeah. this year, Jamal comes back, he's six foot five. KCP comes in. He's six foot five. Bruce Brown comes in. He's six four. And he can play one through four. Christian Brown out of Kansas is six foot six. And he was an elite level defender coming out of college. So you give Jokic and you give the rest of the Nuggets roster four guys that are all at least six foot four and up that are all great athletes. K 
KCP is shooting 47% from three this season. Yeah. 47% from three. And he's been excellent as a defender at DHO. He doesn't get lost on screens. He's been great at getting off into fouls. He's the best on-ball defender they have since Gary Harris. You got Bruce Brown this year. And, again, a lot of people don't know, Bruce Brown was a guard before he transitioned to being a forward with the Nets last year. And he's been excellent, man. Bruce Brown has been sensational all season. And Bruce Brown's been a good shooter. He's shooting 40% from three this year, basically. Like, you know, he does everything. So when you're you're able to put Bruce Brown, KCP, Murray – and Brown on the court, you give them four very switchable defenders who can all do very similar things. Now, I think that KTP and, and I would even dare say I think KTP might be the best. Bruce Brown's probably the most multifaceted defender, but, but I think Christian has the best potential because he's so young and he's so big. Yeah. But even even with Jamal, bro, like the the way that the signings work out this summer, and this is by the way, if, if 76ers fans don't know, they also drafted Peyton Watson out of UCLA. He's six foot eight and a half. He has all the defensive measurable, somebody like Herb Jones or Mikel Bridges, and he's playing in the G League currently. They got Ismail Kamagate, who is a seven-foot defensive player of the year in the Paris League, the same one that Victor Wimanyama is playing. So they went into the offseason with a mission that said, we know we suck defensively, and we know that Jokic cannot rim protect. He can do everything else at a very high level, but he cannot. He's not in beat. He can't jump, so he's not athletic, so therefore he's not going to be a good rim protector. But they went out and they got guys to fortify him defensively and to cover up a lot of those shortcomings. And right now, they've all been a hit. The Nuggets are a top seven defense over the last 15 to 20 games. And basically over the last half of the year, they've been a top nine defense. And so they've been a number one offense in the NBA, basically, and they've been a top 10 defense in the NBA, basically. And all this goes back to the offseason signing. So they've done an incredible job. And this is also including, obviously, Aaron Gordon. Yeah. Gordon is another guy too who's I think taking his game even to another level this year I I'm not gonna lie when they made that trade for bringing Gordon the whole Gary Harris trade bringing Gordon to uh to Denver I was not sold but I I never in a million years would have thought that his game would match so well with Jokic but again that's just another testament to Jokic and how unbelievable he is and the best passing big man that we've seen. And I can't even tell you how long, but yeah, I, I, I feel you, man. Your, your guys, what you broke it down just barely, as far as defensively fortifying the defense around Jokic, knowing what they know about Jokic. I think they absolutely hit a home run this off season, clearly with your guys, best record in the league, but it's, it's tough, man. I mean, you guys have probably as good a chance as you've had in what, how long? Dating back, I think ever, yeah, yeah. I mean, even even that even that nineteen twenty bubble run. I mean, LeBron and AD were at the peak of their powers, and you know they had KCP, Alice Caruso, Kyle Kuzma, Ray John Rondo, Dwight Howard, Javale McGee. That roster was loaded. Yeah, and defensively, no one in the NBA had the ceiling they had. You know, basically their whole thing was we can pressure you to death, and then we can outrun you in transition, and then LeBron is going to close the game. So. That's with AD getting 28 and 12, basically. So, yeah, this is by far the best chance because Jokic is the best he's ever been. Murray is basically averaging over the last 20 games about 21.6, 6.2, and 4.7, and he's shooting 40, like 5% from three. Porter is really good right now. Gordon's been playing out of his mind. Bruce, KCP, yeah, this is by far the only year that I've been able to look at them and say, like, the expectation for them should be finals. And that's the only year I felt comfortable saying that as well. Yeah. I think you're completely justified in that. That uh, I, I would not be one bit surprised, especially with how the standings and how strange some of the teams in the West have been. Obviously, you look at Phoenix, you look at Golden State. Obviously, they're banged up, but still, like 
to be able to peak and have as good of a roster and as good of a team as you guys have right now. Obviously, I mean, every player who ever wins a championship says this. You got to have a little luck go your way, whether that's Kawhi's shot bouncing off the rim 20 times and going in, which I see in my nightmares every single night, or whether it's this year where it's, hey, teams that typically would be at the top of the standings, maybe they're not because they're banged up. That's not your fault. Like, I, I, I love it. And looking at, I mean, heaven forbid, for your guys' sake, I do not want to see, and I'm not just saying this, I do not want to see the Warriors get healthy at the right time and you guys end up getting some terrible matchup if you're the one or two seed with like a healthy Phoenix or Golden State team. That is my nightmare. Do you think of that at all? Uh, I think no, but here's the thing. Uh, what I have learned, and based on the, the, the Nuggets too, and they've kind of been asked this question before about how they feel about that. Yeah. The Nuggets, they feel that they are just the best team right now. They've beaten the Celtics. Um, they've beaten the uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, this is by double digits. They beat both the team by double digits when they had their guys on the court. Desmond Bain wasn't there. Uh, yeah. They basically, when they had all their people, they beat the Kings. They they beat, they're beating the Clippers by 43 points when they played against them the other night. And then they beat them again by double digits without Jokic in the game. Obviously, yeah. they they beat the Suns. They beaten all these teams. So they beat and they beat the Warriors the second game of the year when the Warriors were fully healthy. And they didn't have Jamal Murray playing. So right now, with how they feel, they think that they every single night are the best team on the court, and they feel like they've got the best player on the court. So I think when you're feeling that confident, you don't necessarily worry about the competition. But also, too, you kind of got to kind of get an insight. So I've always explained that that Nikola Jokic is water. You know, he's he's Bruce Lee. Meaning that whatever the moment is, he will adjust his game. So if he has to go for score 40, 15, and 15, he can do that. If he needs to get 13, 13, and 13 versus the Memphis Grizzlies for a win, he'll also do that. Jamal Murray is the fire. Like Jamal yeah. Murray is the guy that takes them from being a very good team to even a contender to being like, hey, man, this team could actually win a championship because Jamal is so arrogant when he's in the zone. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. tough middies, tough fadeaways to the rack, step back three, sidestep three, doesn't matter. You know, he believes he can beat anybody. So I think Jamal Murray in a playoff series, especially versus Devin Booker, they both went to Kentucky. Yeah. You know, he's going to feel as if he's the best guard on that court as well. So I think that's the thing, man. Like, I think when you just feel confident in yourself, you know, you're not as worried about the competition because, you know, at the end of the day, the biggest competition you have is you. And I would even yeah. say that for you, Josh. Like, you know, you make a great – you got a great platform. You've got a great social media. You make a great podcast. You've got a great show. You're never lining yourself up against somebody saying that, like, yo, I – what if I can't beat this dude or what if I can outperform this person? Nah, like you make great content. You could go out and you could beat anybody any given night of the week, but that's because you believe in yourself, man. I think that when you're a championship team, that's just what it takes. You just got to believe at the end of the day that you simply have everything you need to be successful. And that's how you're actually going to be successful in the end, you know? Man, you're preaching. Also, I genuinely appreciate those kind words. That that means a lot. Thank you for that. And I, I agree. I mean, you look at this, you've got some people who are like, look, it doesn't matter who we're matched up against. If we're the best team, we're going to beat anybody anyway. And I, I think that's the exact right mindset to have going in. So many people get caught up in matchups and, and trying to avoid certain teams and, and going about it that way. But I think you're exactly right, especially with how you guys are rolling. I mean, it really, at this point, it doesn't matter who you're going to play. And I, I love that, uh, that Bruce Lee comparison, the fire in the water thing with Murray. Bubble Murray is some of the funnest basketball I've ever seen in my entire life. That was unbelievable. And if he can just re he already is starting to, but if he can recapture that just a little bit, uh, nasty, I think a hundred percent, you guys are a contender. No question. Right. I, ha I have to jump into this. We'll end with this. Uh, we'll end with some <coughs> predictions, but we got to talk about it. So we talked about it before we started recording. I'm as guilty of it as anybody else. 
I know that plenty of Philly fans do the same thing. And I know plenty of Nuggets fans on Twitter do it too. It's fun to rile each other up. It's fun to throw out a tweet. I do it. I am very guilty of it. I did it the other day of just kind of throwing something out, a little jab at Jokic. Nuggets fans throw little jabs at Embiid. Why do you think, A, it has got to this point? You mentioned earlier that kind of Nuggets fans saw Embiid step into the league and saw like, okay, yeah, we're excited for him. But it kind of even started then. When MVPs aside, because obviously Jokic is the back-to-back MVP, he honestly could win three straight this year. I think for some Philly fans, it started when Jokic won the first one. They kind of started to be like, okay, there's like this little, I, I would rather have Embiid than Jokic, but he deserves it. Back-to-back years, I think a lot of Philly fans felt the same way. That aside, why do you think this Embiid-Jokic kind of head-to-head matchup has kind of taken the heights on social media that it has? Yeah, you know what's funny is this is this started probably 2018-19, a little bit more. I don't know if you remember, because this is, again, when the Nuggets were still coming up, um, you know, Jokic hadn't yet even got first-team All-NBA. This was the first season he did. And okay. when, when Philly came into Denver, uh, Philly was up by 21 points. I remember this game very vividly. You know, y'all had, like, Ben Simmons and all of them and Jimmy, and I'm like, bro, this – you know, this team is loaded, bro. Like, I really don't know, like, how this game is going to go. And y'all are up 21 points by five minutes. Then Nuggets came back, and Jokic hit the game winner over Embiid uh, to win remember. that game. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, Embiid had that, you know, push in the back call, that the offensive foul, and, like, you know, in, you know, Philly fans were up in the air. Like, you know, he didn't push him, all this other stuff. So it kind of started there, where Jokic became the first all first team center. And yeah. then from that point on, Jokic went to the Western Conference Finals. Jokic had two, three, one comebacks. He beat Kawhi Leonard in the series. And B didn't beat Kawhi Leonard in the series. Jokic yeah. didn't win. So the next year played 72 games, averaged 26, 12, and eight, basically. And then won an MVP, played 72 games, and B played 51 games. The next year, Jokic then comes out and averages 27, 14, and eight. And B is leading the league in scoring, you know, first center since Wilt. Basically like a point per minute player, like just nuts. But, you know, and B that year, uh, the injury, and then also because of uh, – I think they y'all ended the year as the fourth seed, I want to say, yep, last year. Yep, yep. And, you know, then coupled with the playoff stuff, so, you know, we just Embiid has had some freak injuries. I think you put all that stuff together, bro, there has been this narrative that has developed where I think a lot of Philly fans have felt as if Embiid has been slighted because they feel like you've done enough to earn the MVP. Nuggets fans on the other side – have felt that Jokic has done everything to show that he is the actual MVP and that even as good as Embiid has been, that Jokic has been better. And so I think it, it kind of started where the two didn't really start to get compared till about 2018-19. And then yeah. once Jokic started winning those first-team mom, yay, and then once he won that MVP, it kind of kind of crystallized for a lot of people. And then, you know, even in 2020, there were a lot of uh, ESPN folks that said Embiid, had he played more games, he would have won. So I think yep. there, there, people just didn't know. Like, well, if Embiid played more games, he would have won. Well, he didn't play in games. That's well, that's why Jokic won in the first play because he's 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 more available. Then the next year happens, and so I think it's just been a part of like whenever you have two really dominant players at the position, where it's kind of like uh, Hakeem Olajuwon and David Robinson to some degree. Yeah, you know, this was a very similar conversation in the '90s between those two, and then Hakeem eventually won, but he had the MVPs, he had the championships, and all that kind of stuff. So. I think that's just kind of what happened. I think when you have two really, really great players, and then especially two cities that are polar opposites, <laughs> because yeah, Philly yes. and Denver couldn't be more different, <laughs> yeah, you know. So I, 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 I think you just mix all that in there. It's just a part of what happens, you know. 
I totally agree. It's it's funny. I I told you this earlier, but like I hesitate to even call it a rivalry because that's not it. It almost feels like if you remember back the whole like rookie of the year funny thing that Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell had going on, and they were kind of taking jabs mm-hmm. at each other here and there. And all of a sudden, any time that Philly we would play Utah, it like the game meant more all of a sudden right and it was like you don't want to call it a rivalry because it isn't but at the same time it just it's kind of fun that way i think everybody kind of views that uh as these nuggets games approach i think from the philly perspective same type of deal i honestly i think i can speak for a good majority of philly fans where i i genuinely don't think that they feel as though Jokic doesn't deserve them i think that it is as you mentioned some of those ESPN writers came out and they're like, well, hey, if Embiid would have played more, which honestly has been the story of Embiid's career, right? Like right. you said, availability. And so I think when you hear some guys who have some actual MVP and and all NBA team votes say those things that you're thinking of like, yeah, if he would have played more then maybe we would have a different conversation. Then I think that kind of plants that seed inside of Philly people's minds of like, OK, well, we got screwed then. When in reality, from taking the Philly goggles off. And just putting on my basketball fan hat and looking at it from like, wow, just because Embiid got slided or you feel Embiid got slided, that doesn't mean that what is happening on the other side isn't unbelievable. Like I think from the Philly perspective, they get too caught up on, like you mentioned, focusing on Embiid got screwed rather than holy moly, what Jokic has been doing is truly unbelievable. And it's kind of this weird ground. Like I don't know how to... Well, I do know how because I I feel as a leader of people on Twitter who rile people up, throwing out narratives like that where it's like, hey, and and honestly, every game that we end up playing, you guys, I do feel the exact same way where I'm like, yeah, I want to win, but at the same time, like, let's take a step back and appreciate that we have two of the best big men, the most skilled big men that the NBA has seen in years, playing at the highest level and actually playing against each other. From the Philly side, we should just be grateful and beads on the floor. We thought when he got drafted after the first two years of injuries, like the fact that he is to the point where he's at in his career is amazing. And from your guys' side, like looking at getting Jokic, this dude stepping in and leading this team to where they're at now, like it's, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but it's, it honestly is trying to shift the mindset of like, Hey, rather than like putting one down and trying to build up the other, why can't we just watch and appreciate everybody balling out at the same time and just appreciate good basketball. Like I I know I'm on a tangent, but I got to keep going as, as awful as it is. It took Kobe Bryant tragically passing away for me to legitimately take a step back and be like, okay, I did not appreciate this dude enough when he was here, when he was playing in the league, I looked at him as the dude who beat AI in those Sixers teams in the early two thousands. And it crushed me. When in reality, I should have just been looking at it like, holy crap, we are seeing one of the greatest basketball talents who's ever stepped foot on the court. And I didn't appreciate that until it was too late. And so it's trying to shift the mindset of like, wow, let's just appreciate what we've got in front of us. I know that sounds cheesy, but let's try to appreciate it rather than knocking one down to build the other one up. Does that that make sense? Yeah. And I think too, you know, so I think the first couple of years, I was probably, I was more into like, maybe extrapolating like why I felt like Jokic was a better player. And, you know, I think that, you know, obviously the MVPs and everything kind of vindicated like a lot of that. But again, I, I think at some point though, I, I didn't, it got, it got so far where I was like trying to explain the basketball side of it, that it was getting too much. And so I actually moved away from even having the conversation as a whole, but just yeah. because that was taking away from like the original concept, like I've never actually like 
thought Embiid wasn't a top-tier player, but when you're yeah. having those discussions, you have to, like, kind of take a, like, rip away at people's game a little bit. You know, I got to, like, talk about the negative stuff. But I think the thing is, is, like, Embiid has been great. Like, Embiid is great. Like I said, I, if anything, I have been mostly on my platform trying to explain why when people bring up the Giannis conversation right now, well, that, like, Embiid's been better than Giannis. But then I even the all-star starting stuff, and I bring up the fact that I think that Embiid should be starting over Giannis. And yeah. people are going back to the, the standings, which they were at the time, or yeah. Giannis averaging a career-high in points or whatever. Well, it's like, I mean, but there's things you can take away from that and be like, well, Embiid is more efficient, scoring at a higher volume. And then, you know, defensively, they're in the same class of player right now. So, like, there, there's so many things you can add to this. So, you know, I think the thing is, is that I think Embiid is a truly special player. And I think that, if anything, what's going to vindicate him is having a good playoff run. Like, yep. if they're able to go to the playoff this year, and at least get to the conference finals, and he's able to put up a good performance versus the Celtics or the Buck or the Heat or whoever they face, I think a lot of the the stuff and the pushback on Embiid will change. Because okay. by that point in time, he'll be able to prove it at a very high level on the highest stage he's ever been able to do it. And then from there, you know, all you can say is that, like, look, man, like, he did his job, and he was the best player on the court when he was there, you know? Yep, that's a great way to put it. I, I completely agree as well. If he can get over the hump and get to the conference finals, I mean, obviously, going uh, being a contender and going all the way, that would just be the cherry on top. But even just getting over the hurdle and taking this team to the conference finals, I think, like you mentioned, that would do absolute wonders. But, yeah, man, I, I, I know that's, for me, a little self-reflection. You've been doing an amazing job at it of rather than knocking, bashing one to try to build up the other, you've been doing a really good job at throwing and beat a lot of love, and you do a fantastic job of that on Twitter. But. I, uh, it's a nice moment of self-reflection to be like, you know what? There's there's no harm in in actually accepting and realizing we've got greatness in front of us. It doesn't matter whether it's in Philly or whether it's in Denver. But yeah, you're a you're a fantastic example of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is uh, you know, I just think that it's you don't get a time in NBA history where you can look across the board and you see somebody putting up dang near 34, 10, and 4. And again, again, I just want to say this. Embiid, every the last three years, he has gotten better. He's become a better playmaker. He's become a better decision maker. There's just not many players you can look at and say their clear flaw offensively was that they don't know how to pass out of a double team. They don't mm-hmm. know how to create and lift, for, and lift up the other teammates around them. And they don't know how to, to playmake at a, at a level enough that's passable. So if they have a center being able to be the level of scorer he is, and then also to be, again, a 10-rebound-a-game player and then average four assists. Like I said, I, I think people sometimes just forget. And I'll, I'll also say this, DeMontis Sabonis. Cause I think, and again, a lot of people are so lost in the fact that, like, Jokic, for instance, in terms of a playmaker, is a generational, like, once-in-a-lifetime big. We've never seen it. Jokic mm-hmm. is averaging a 10 assist a game, but people don't realize how difficult it is to pass out of that spot. That's why what he's doing is so unique. Like, yep. Sabonis is averaging 18, 12, and 7 right now. That's stupid. Like, yep. that's dumb. You don't do that. And so to have a center averaging 34, 10, and 4 on the shooting splits he has, once again, it's unprecedented. So I think a lot of people, if they just take a step back to look like and say, we're in, I think, the most pristine time in NBA history where you have the top 10 to 8 players in the league, and I think you can take these players across any era in basketball history and say this is the best the NBA's ever been. Whether it's Giannis, Embiid, Tatum, Jokic, Luka, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Steph Curry, you know, Kawhi Leonard, whoever you want to put in there, I don't think the NBA's ever been better. So I think that's why I I really encourage people to just take a step back and be like, look, man, like, 
I think that if the 76ers are fully loaded, who wouldn't want to see a series where you can say the two best bigs in the NBA who for back-to-back years are runner-up and MVP, yeah. and then even this year could be runner-up and MVP, and that yep. team plays against each other in the finals. You know, you wouldn't – there's never – we haven't seen that. We just haven't seen it. Yep, that would be on me. That, that would be a dream come true. Truly, that would be unbelievable. But I completely agree. The NBA has never had this much talent, this kind of level playing field where you look at up and down the standings in both conferences. I mean, heaven forbid the Warriors are in 10th. You look at the talent of Dame, he's in 12th, LeBron's in 13th. Like, that's insane that the level of talent is this far spread out. Obviously, it's more than just a one-man show, but I completely agree with you. As far as that goes, I don't think the NBA has ever been in this type of position before. And uh, just being able to take a step back and appreciate good basketball. There, I mean, one day we'll be able to tell our grandkids like, oh yeah, no, it was back in 2023 and we watched and it was just unbelievable stuff. Just like our dads told us, um, same type of deal. But yeah, I, I completely agree. It's, it's more so just appreciating what's in front of us rather than trying to crush everything else. Well put by you. I have a, I have a question to end this for you. So in terms of just even like for title hopes, who do you think is going to be the most important player outside of you know maybe even or you could even say you want to include Harden outside of Embiid who you think the most important player is going to be to making that happen if you want to you know it could be outside of Harden or with Harden you know who do you think is going to make the biggest difference for you while being able to take that leap to being the best team in the east come down to stretching the playoffs it's a fantastic question so I think it will come down to two things I think Harden and Embiid are going to do their thing I'm not worried about that I think Maxi also has taken another step and he's slowly getting back from injury. I'm not even worried about Maxi. I think it's all going to fall on Tobias Harris. And I think Tobias, uh, people look at his contract and look, yes, he's a max player contract that it, his stats and splits, everything split up. Maybe shouldn't, maybe he's overpaid. However, to be able to accept a brand new role with James Harden coming in, being able to take a step back and be like, okay, look, they want me here in Philly. They paid me the max contract. I need to adapt my game. I need to be the guy who pulls the trigger rather than pump faking, even though I'm not comfortable with it on these corner threes and have a quick trigger. Like he has been able to improve and step up in so many different ways. I think it's going to come down to him producing in the playoffs. I think there will be a game in the playoffs where we're going to look back and say, oh, Tobias Harris game where he goes off because somebody gets Embiid gets in foul trouble or something like that happens. And Tobias steps up because he is very capable of it. The dude can score from any level. His his post up and kind of back to the back game is nasty and I think is very underrated. I think it all is going to fall down onto Tobias, which I would argue he's probably the fourth option on the Sixers team behind Embiid, Harden, and Maxi. So to have a guy like that who is that third, fourth option, I think it is all going to fall down on him to be consistent in the playoffs and be able to still produce. Heaven forbid something like that's going to happen. We know, look, Teams are going to send double, triple teams at Embiid come playoff time. It happens every single year. So who needs to step up? Who needs to actually shoot? I would love to see P.J. Tucker start to hit some corner threes, but I think it's all going to be Tobias. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, I remember Tobias in that that Raptors series last year. I think the biggest thing that he did was just the way he leveled up defensively. I mean, he was excellent between switching between Pascal, OG, Scotty Barnes, and even obviously in in the Heat series. You know, obviously the difference wasn't be there. I think he averaged 22, 10, and 2, but he was hurt. So yep. I think having Tobias to be able to step up defensively and mm-hmm. to hit tough shots, and again, some of those corner shots, even attacking the rim every so often, just being able to be a reliable offensive engine. And I think even him being a player of the 
Andrew Wiggins archetype or even a Bobby Portis level player. Like, and I mean, he's better than Bobby Portis, but I mean, in terms of his level of like involvement, if he's Excellent. able to contribute to that same level that Bobby did during that run for them in 2021, oh yeah, that's that's lights out. Because at that point in time, he's doing everything he's supposed to do. That's the perfect, if he could, that's exactly the player I had in mind. If he can take on that type of role, like you said, obviously I take Tobias over Bobby Portis 10 out of 10 times, but if he can step into that type of role come playoff time, do what is asked of him and do it at an extremely uh, high level, I think you're exactly right. That's, that's the guy. I have to ask you, and then I'll let you go. I know this has gone way over time, but who, looking at your roster, you know Jokic is going to do his thing. Is it like a health thing that you're worried about, or who on the roster do you look at and say, okay, they're going to need to elevate their game come playoff time. And that feels kind of funny because, again, elevate their game. You guys are already sitting at top of the league. But come playoff time, who are you going to kind of have circled and keep an eye on on your roster? Yeah, that's tough. You know, I think it's going to – a lot's going to fall down to Murray. But I think what takes them from – dang, man, like they're already uncoverable and all that other stuff. But I think what takes them from like, man, that's a really, really t- – team to where hey man that is just nothing you can do about it it's just michael porter jr because yeah. honestly if michael porter jr with murray with ag and then with Jokic and bruce brown and kcp and bones highland just go up and down the roster if michael porter jr is able to be in a situation where he's given you really good number and defensively he's able to be passable but then yeah. he's also shooting at a high level that's what makes them go from like man like we at least tried to like cover that pick and roll game to close the game with Murray and Jokic, try to double team, try to trap, you know, put Jokic in a situation in the short roll, try to trap him up. But then now when he kicked out to the corner with Michael Porter Jr., or even if he's slashing to the rim, we just didn't have enough bodies to throw at a six foot ten athlete. I think that's what kind of takes them over the top because at that point, there legitimately is no answer for them. If you got a 45% three-point shooter in, in KTP and then a 44% three-point shooter basically in Michael Porter Jr. on the court, there's just not much you can do about like slowing them down come clutch time. Yeah. You know, so I think it's really going to be those moments. And Porter, you know, people forget in game five, when they first came, that first game they came back versus the Clippers, Porter was the one that hit that three that sent them over when they were already up two. He sent, he hit a three that put them up five and it closed the game out. And he hadn't scored the entire game. So Porter already kind of has that like, that dog in him, as people talk about in terms of like, bro, I want I want all the momentum. I want all the pressure. So yeah. I think he's going to be really pivotal for them. I like it. I agree with you. Also, I just have to give him a shout out because I absolutely love him. A Philly guy. Bones Highland is so fun to watch, mm-hmm. dude. I the, the leap that I mean, you mentioned your guy squat last year, having Compazzo kind of get minutes above Bones, like making that jump and kind of stepping up. And is, is he banged up right now? Is that is that what's going on? Yeah, Bones has like a dislocated finger that he's working through. Okay. But, you know, if you've ever played basketball, that's kind of something you just have to deal yeah, with. Yeah. So. Of yeah, course. he might be back to tonight versus the game uh, versus the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, but we'll have to see. But he for sure should be back in Philly because, you know, Bones, when he goes to Philly, yeah, has like 30 off. people go to the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He's playing for the showing out for the hometown. Um, yeah. I, lo- I love Bones. Okay, man. I genuinely appreciate you jumping on here. I'll just leave you with this. What, uh, what are you expecting to see on Saturday? Yeah. In Philly. Oh, man, I think it's going to be hopefully it's going to be a good game. You know, if everybody's available, Porter may or may not be available. Um, he has some personal stuff going on right now, but that means they're going to be playing Bruce Brown and Christian Brown heavy at that three spot. Uh, a lot of this is going to come down to, I think, late game execution stuff. You know, Jokic at some point in time is going to be in an island with Embiid and Embiid's going to be doing that little hedgy tween tween, you know, <laughs> fake triple step, triple step jab, 
and then it's going to be that fadeaway. And it's like, all right, if Embiid is making 45% of his middies, all right, that's going to be a lot. You know what I mean? So I think <laughs> yeah. if they can at least like hold – not hold Embiid, but I think make him a one-way player to some extent. A lot of yeah. this comes down to Harden. Like if they can just limit Harden in the fourth quarter and then let Embiid do whatever Embiid does, I think that will work out for them. Yeah. Uh, but they're going to need to really lock in because I think I think Philly is incredible. And again, you're you're seventeen and three, and you won five straight games as well. So you know they're they're, they're just riding a tremendous hot streak right now. Yep, I think so too. I am excited to see it. Obviously, that matchup is something we've all been looking forward to for a long time. But Cam, man, I can't thank you enough for real. This is great. I've loved your content for a long time, but being able to have you on my podcast and just talk some hoops means the world. So I genuinely appreciate it. Tell the uh, tell the listeners where they can find you. Yeah, man, you can follow me at Swap Cam on Twitter, on Instagram, also on TikTok. You also follow my YouTube channel, uh, Swipe Cam, all things NBA and a little bit of NFL, man. So I appreciate the time, man. It's been a lot of fun. Of course, brother. Really appreciate it. I hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Cam. Great dude. Awesome content. Give him a follow on Twitter. And uh, yeah, awesome dude. Hope you all have a fantastic week. Let's go Sixers. Let's get a win. Let's also go Birds this weekend. Big weekend for Philly. Big, big weekend. Uh, would love nothing more than an Embiid masterclass and uh, a poster on Jokic. That would be awesome. And I also would love just absolutely dominant Birds win to go to the Super Bowl. It would be fantastic. Anyway, go ahead, like, subscribe, review, do all that fun stuff. I love all you guys. Hope you have a fantastic week. And uh, that's ball, folks. Thank you.